Another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show about a couple of guys trying to understand America by watching the old-timey Andy Griffith show. I am Marty Schneider. I am Dan Ledwick. Uh, I just want to say, we are, I'm really excited for how many people have listened. We just did some stats, and something like 900 of you have listened over the past month, and we're really, really grateful for that. Uh, before we get into a couple of today's episodes, uh, I want to just give a couple of announcements. Uh, we have switched are hosting away from SoundCloud. We are now on Spreaker. If you are listening to us on iTunes or Podcast Addict or anywhere else where you get your podcasts, that's not going to be a big deal. It doesn't matter. You can just keep going. We will still be uploading stuff to SoundCloud, so if you do listen to us regularly and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, you won't miss our stuff. Uh, It may fall a little behind the regular release schedule because I think you're only allowed to do something like three or four hours on the free plan. Yeah, all of our things will redirect there. We've already set up the redirect, so it probably doesn't affect you at all. Uh, But if you are having trouble getting your Breaking Mayberry fix, you can contact us on Twitter, at BreakMayberry, or you can uh, email us, BreakingMayberry at gmail.com. Our customer service representatives are on standby to assist any podcast listening difficulties you may have. The other cool thing about this is uh, we're now on YouTube. Uh, right now, it's just YouTube videos of the podcast, but if you look for Breaking Mayberry on YouTube, you can send those links and you can listen to us. Uh, for everybody you know that wants to get into podcasts but doesn't want to bother with iTunes, you know, because iTunes is horrible. Oh my god, what kind of nightmarish shit is our YouTube going to autoplay into? Our subject matter is an old TV show, Baby Boomers the South. It's going to, like, autoplay into the most crazed alt-right rantings because that's the only thing... Uh, YouTube auto plays into anymore. Yeah, their algorithms are really, really designed to spread Nazi propaganda. It's, it's amazing. It's it's almost eerie. It's kind of crazy. How, how efficient they are at spreading that shit. Yeah, it's it's weird how it just sort of like always happens to move into far right propaganda designed to uh, to warp the minds of thirteen year olds. Well, was it like Microsoft launching an AI onto Twitter uh, like a year or two ago and? Within three weeks, it just went full Nazi? Yes. Like, yeah, no, people keep trying to put AIs on the internet to see what happens, and they keep either A, going insane with hatred, or B, just becoming Nazis. You repeated yourself there, sir. <laughs> That's fit. yeah. Anyway, yeah, we, we are on YouTube now, uh, and Dan and I might just do some extra stuff on there, maybe upload some videos. Uh, but for right now, it's just the podcast, but you can listen to our podcast on YouTube now, so just search for Breaking Mayberry. We don't have enough followers yet to have a, like, custom URL, so just search for Breaking Mayberry on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, give us all the likes and, uh, comments that you- Oh, I definitely want to see some YouTube horrible comments. That's going to be fun. Oh my god. Uh, Can we disable those? We've made a mistake. (laughs) We've made a mistake. Why did we do YouTube? So far, this has been nothing but negatives. This is... I don't want to submit my voice to those people. (laughs) 
All right, so that's enough like housekeeping for us. You don't want to hear us talk about ourselves. You want to hear us talk about Andy and Barney, right? Or something like that? Yeah. So today we uh, today we are doing a couple of episodes, a good pair of episodes, I think. A, a kick-ass pair of episodes. I am so... It has been so long since I've just liked an episode of The Andy Griffith Show that just the gentleman crook was... It, it was fucking exhilarating to just, like, like the beginning, middle, and end of an Andy Griffith Show episode. And Sarando Andy is... Fun, not because it's a good episode, but just because of its its raw, blinding horniness. I'm I'm sorry, Dan. What is the name of this episode? Uh, how do I? How do you pronounce? I I, I don't know how you pronounce that word because I've never heard it said please, out loud. So Sir- please say it again. Cyrano, 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 Cyrano. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't wildly off. Serrano is a type of ham. It is a cured meat that mm-hmm. you serve with fancy cheeses. The most erotic of foods. Yes. That's just where I took it. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. All right. So we're talking about season one, episodes 21 and 22, Andy and the Gentleman Crook, and Cyrano Andy, both directed by 1998 heavyweight champion, mean Bob Sweeney. Charming English pervert, Bob Sweeney. And written by, alright, so Andy and the Gentleman Crook is written by a pair of dudes we haven't seen before, uh, but I'm excited for it. They bring some heat. They come in. It's such a weird, it's a, it's an episode that's very different than most of the other episodes we've seen. which Because it's, it's just great. good. It has, it follows a, a story structure that makes sense. All of the things that happen in it are previously set up. It's, it actually is, is well written, so it's almost like confusing by the end where it's like wait 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 this ending makes sense it is in line with the things that have been established earlier wait wait wait, is that a falling action oh my god is this an arc i'm going blind yeah no it's it's crazy it's it's so bizarre to just like see an episode of the andy griffith show that is technically competent in its ex in its execution and is just like all the way through fun to watch so anyway the, the two people that we haven't we haven't mentioned their names yet dan uh, that's Ben Gershman and Leo Solomon. In uh, oh, that those episode, names rule. Good names, right? Leo the other Solomon. episode we're doing today is uh, episode twenty-two, Cyrano Andy, directed by Bob Sweeney and written by good old Jack Ellison and Charles Stewart. I feel like you're really pronouncing the shit out of Cyrano just to shame me. Like you're putting that—that's in bold whenever you say it. That's projection, man. I'm—I'm I'm not bringing that to the table. These air February 27th, 1961, and March 6th, 1961. And did anything interesting happen February 27th, 1961? Uh, Henry Kissinger was appointed by President Kennedy as a consultant to the National Security Agency. Okay, so... At age... At age 37. Oh my god. So the... the, the be- so the beginning of... Uh, of the ascension of the fucking devil happened. So this was a dark, dark day that none of us knew was happening yet. I'm just amazed that the that he's 37 years old. I can't imagine that Henry Kissinger was ever 37 years old. He was born 60. I, I assume his baby pictures look like a wake. Alright, so let's go ahead and I'm going to read, as always, the one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Here is the one-sentence summary of Andy and the Gentleman Crook. Gentleman Dan Caldwell, played by actor Dan Tobin, and we'll talk about him in a second. A notorious con man being held in the Mayberry Jail, 
becomes a hero to everyone but Andy, who is not fooled. So, uh, Dan Tobin was a Broadway actor, and he also had some recurring roles, mostly on westerns and stuff, because a lot of people, westerns were great for character actors. This guy would be so perfect in a western, like, as a, a, like, a crooked, like, uh, gangster boss, or or even just, like, a a bartender, I could see him just annihilating that role. Well, this is kind of what he did. The role that we see him play here, which is this, like, sort of upper society, somewhat effete, uh, little, somewhat fussy kind of character, but also with, like, a little bit of malice to him. Yeah. Apparently, that's that was just, like, his, his role. That was his thing. Uh, he tore into those roles all the time. He does, um, he does refined swagger with a sort of menacing edge really beautifully. Like, he, he... He does a fantastic just walking across the room with a with a big coat on, sort of sneering at his surroundings. He 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 definitely like is able to sort of give off that aura very non-verbally. The first time we watched this episode, like you texted me about it and you said that this was the Silence of the Lambs episode. It totally is. I actually went and I watched Silence of the Lambs today, and Anthony Hopkins is absolutely doing a Dan Tobin in this. It is that same kind of like elitist, like a little bit of an, a British accent, but not quite like just kind of a high minded accent uh, with all this darkness to it. I, I feel like it's kind of where that character stems from and you can see it. And also like, do you think, it, little... do you think it's like, it's that there's like an, a direct connection between these things or you think the, um the refined genius criminal in a jail cell is sort of something that goes back earlier do you think it's sort of maybe this arch- archetypal uh are, are you asking me if i think anthony hopkins watched the andy griffith show in preparation to play hannibal lecter it seems far-fetched so i'm sort of looking for a like a more reasonable because the, the similarities are kind of eerie now that you mention it no probably he probably didn't watch that episode but he was definitely doing a variation on a theme that stemmed from Dan Tobin's work. I feel like right. there must be sort of an original thing that both this episode and Hannibal Lecter were drawing from because it is a really just just grabbing concept of like this this predator criminal just circling a jail cell uh and he's simultaneously like powerless and all powerful just from his abilities at manipulation like it's a it's a deeply terrifying concept on silence of the lambs and it's really terrifying here in mayberry a lot of it is also i think like like masculinity based gentleman uh what's his name gentleman dan caldwell is like high-minded and a little prissy Mm -hmm. and uh you know, kind of a smooth talker. And this is, like, one of the more masculine Andy episodes. Andy, Andy Griffith is, like, a bear. Like, he is, he, he really, like, uses his size in it. Like, he, he looms to sort of, like, like, he brings a physicality to it. Like, you, he does sort of, like, give off a sense that he could, like, he could beat somebody up in this. So it's, it's one of those, like, old tropes that, like, villains are coded gay. Uh, mm. Or they're coded British or British gay. Uh, and... Uh, Silence of the Lambs has such weird, like, fixations on sexuality and gender as well that it definitely plays into that somewhat. But, and I, again, I don't think that anyone was really conscious of this while they were filming the episode, but it is just one of those, like, 
tropes that have evolved through times. I mean, this this episode does ooze just like sort of omnidirectional sexuality. Dan Caldwell seduces everyone in this episode. Like it is it's it's weirdly the most romantic episode that Barney Fife has had including the ones that have been all about Don Knotts' romantic life. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and explain what we're talking about. All right, so we uh, we fade up. Andy is... They're, uh, they're, in the... they're in the jail cell, and Andy is telling this weird southern version of Jack and the Beanstalk. Doing the Andy Griffith thing, where he does a southern fried version of a popular story. Yeah, it's, um, it's the events of Jack and the Beanstalk, but whenever a character it talks, they're foghorn leghorn. Like, it's like... I smell the, I, I smell the blood of an Englishman. And then the giant's wife is like, "You sure that ain't just that possum that you cooked up the other day?" I reckon. Like it's it's a weird it's a weird thing he keeps doing of like normal story, normal story, dialogue. Well, I, I'm just a simple country giant, but I suppose. <laughs> you know what though? I love it every single time he does it. It works for me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know. And and so he's telling Opie this story, and there's also cuts of uh, Barney being swept into it, and that's fine because Andy Griffith is a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aunt B comes in, so I'm confused at what time this takes place because Barney thanks Aunt B for dinner. Maybe it was last night's dinner because uh, Barney thanks Aunt B for the dinner. But they also send Opie off to school. Like, you better get back to school now. Is he out on his lunch break? Is it like is it like high school where you can just bounce during during your free period? Let's face it, Opie pretty much just bounces whenever he feels like. Like if you tell Opie to go somewhere, he'll go. But otherwise, he pretty much just just is he's like a free range chicken, basically. I, I feel like Aunt B's job in raising Opie is just is tracking him. Like she shows up at the jail cell and she's like, like, oh wait, let's go to school, Opie. And I feel like in between those scenes, she's just like like going through the woods, like like finding broken branches and being like, He was here. The trail's still warm. I think he's heading towards the jail. <laughs> it's basically like little Billy's dotted line from the family circus. Yes. <laughs> like... This this it, Opie's school has, like, someone in a guard tower with a trank gun whose job it is to just try to keep him from just running off the premises. Like, and he he has, like, a 30% success rate. Uh, but yeah, so Opie, it's weird. Boy Hunt! Boy Hunt! <laughs> yeah, Boy Hunt 2! <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, so Opie is sent to, it, it is, I think it's the morning. Opie, it was last night's dinner that that Barney came over for, and Opie is sent, I think, to school for the morning? I think he came in and just, like, to hear a quick story before he goes to school. Sure, whatever. It's not important. Yeah. So then, Opie leaves, and thank God, Barney actually waited until the child has left the room before he starts practicing pulling his gun Character out. Character growth. Yeah. <laughs> so he's learned at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. So Barney starts... Waving his gun around like a lunatic, just like, like, uh, like not even he, he claims that he is practicing his quick draw, but it's really just like he's playing cops and robbers with a pistol in the middle of his workplace. Like he's just going pow, pow, blam, blam. And Andy uh, understandably goes, what the hell are you doing? To which Barney answers, he wants to be able to, uh. To, to 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 draw quickly when someone when someone comes up on him and 
and and tells him to reach for the sky. Uh, he want he wants to be able to, to to spin around and blow the guy away. Uh, and then he he demands that that Andy help him practice by saying, "Reach for it, Mister." And what what proceeds to happen is Barney shoots right <laughs> through his holster. Just he can't he does not get the gun out of the, out of the holster in time, and he just kind of fire just fires around into the floor, basically. Almost, almost like to his toes. Yeah, no. Andy points out. He's like, Jesus! You almost blew off your foot. I, I can't keep you on if you have one leg. Stop doing this. Andy's, Andy's pretty angry, but he's much less angry than he should be. I am very. Um, I, I'm really starting to enjoy uh, Andy Griffith's Barney. Barney. Like, he does like three of them this episode. He's done them before, and he will. You know, keep doing them. They he he really gets it down to a science of just like exasperation. So then, yes, he he yells at Barney and he tells Barney that this is this is the famous pocket bullet, right? He said that he gave Barney that bullet, but he made Barney promise to keep the bullet in his shirt pocket. A little bit of a little bit of Chekhov shirt here. Yeah, Barney, which Barney's response for why he put it in his gun is so juvenile that it's, it's, it's more alarming than funny where he says like, well, you know, it was starting to turn green and I thought it would keep better inside of a gun. It's like, that is the kind of lie a six year old tells you when they're trying to get out of eating their vegetables. You know, bullets don't turn green. And you know putting it in a gun wouldn't do that. You just got off on having a loaded gun. We, we've we actually seen Opie tell better lies on this show. Yeah. Opie is, yeah, no, Opie tells better lies. Literally any character can tell a better lie than this. So then uh, Andy receives a mysterious phone call from another sheriff's office. And he says, yeah, we're, we'll be happy to help you out. Who's the prisoner? So they're getting a prisoner transfer and they're going to hold this prisoner uh overnight or from for a couple of days until uh this prisoner can be transferred to the big maximum security prison or something along those lines yeah he's uh, he's beaten the process of being extradited to atlanta and this is like they this is a halfway point i don't know why they can't just do a straight shot i think maybe like the longer they have him in a car the more room there is for him to break out yeah so they need to possibly. like like stop and change guards or something yeah possibly anyway so the point is, famous con man and uh, smooth talker, gentleman Dan Caldwell, uh, is coming to Mayberry. And when Andy tells Barney this, we've joked about Barney being horny for crime before. He's horny for a criminal. He gets really excited. Like like a, a girl that just found out that her crush is coming over. He's just like... It's- he goes into full-on starfucker mode. It is, yeah, it is like a a teenage girl found out that John Lennon was going to be stopping by for dinner. It is bizarre. And I think we've been slowly piecing together Barney Fife's psychology from this. And this is like a really crucial cornerstone in that Barney Fife does not hate crime. Barney Fife is not anti-crime. Barney Fife is, in a weird way... Super pro-crime! He's pro-authority. If criminals had authority, he would respect them. More than anything. 
is that what it is? I, I think it's like, like we always sort of like took for granted that Barney Fife really loves authority and he sort of, he, he does it because he's, he thinks crime is bad and he wants there to not be crime. And I think he loves the battle. Sort of? Maybe. Like, it, I, it, it might also be that Barney just craves respect and he wants to emulate anybody who gets respect, whether that person is a criminal or there's Andy Taylor. Like, Yeah. So, but he starts, like, he starts sweeping everything out. He goes over to the, he says that, like, he wants to put some art up in the cell. He changes out a picture, takes a picture of a ship out and puts it in the cell he goes to the cell he decides next door that he's going to get drapes from home yeah he's like i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna get my drapes and he says he's going to put up the picture of the ship because it will remind dan caldwell of alcatraz he's putting that level of consideration into it he goes to the next cell where otis is asleep drunk as per usual uh and takes the blanket and gives dan caldwell's cell an extra blanket and then he realizes we should just get rid of Otis altogether. <laughs> to which Andy protests, but Barney says, nope, 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 we can't have a, a high-class elite like Dan Caldwell next to the town drunk. And they he kicks Otis out, and even Otis says, my time isn't up yet. I have not served my sentence. Well, this is a hotel for Otis. This is a place where he gets to sleep off his... Uh... Uh, his drunkenness, get a, get a free breakfast and not be around the wife that he clearly does not like. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So they send Otis back to, like, his home, uh, and he's not happy about it. And he makes a joke that, like, with these accommodations, I might not come back next week. Because it is a hotel for him. <laughs> yeah, so it's they, an Airbnb. Yeah, they, they kick him out. Uh, and Andy, I feel like, probably should have just kicked this, stopped this right now. But he doesn't. He just, you know, lets Barney have his fun. The next scene... Andy, at every juncture of this, points out, hey, this is very bad and fucked up. And he he, he correctly states why why a bad thing is happening. And then he's like, it's too bad I have no authority whatsoever to stop it. All right, let's continue. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they do continue. So the next scene, we're back in the jail. Uh, and Barney is like, furiously sweeping to clean up. And then we hear some sirens, because Dan Caldwell has arrived. Now, Andy does not see this, but Barney loads his gun. Andy runs out first, and Barney starts to follow him, and then stops. And then, like, looks down at his shirt pocket, like, looks guilty, looks down at his shirt pocket again, and then, like, eagerly, like, 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 arousal is on his face, loads the gun and, like, like, clicks it and then, like, runs out. Which, why do you think he does that? You know... I think that as much as Barney, like, likes Dan Caldwell, likes the idea, he really likes the idea of being the guy that shot Dan Caldwell. Oh, my. I, see, I was thinking, like, like it's it was like a, uh, he wanted to be participating in the, uh, in, in the myth as much as possible. Like, he's meeting this famous gangster. He doesn't want to be there with an unloaded gun. He wants to be the guy that has, like, a bullet in his gun, and he's also, they're, they're all, like, men being masculine, powerful authority figures together. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe. Also that. Uh, I mean, as, as Mike Ehrmantraut would say on Breaking Bad, just because you shot Billy the Kid, that don't make you Billy the Kid, right? Uh. Don Knotts would immediately get a job. He would, he would take out a t-shirt printing business for Don Knotts. Billy the Kid. Yeah. I keep yeah. referring to Barney Fife as Don Knotts this episode. Uh, Barney Fife 
Billy the Kid. Just like in with a little equal sign between the two of them. <laughs> so they bring in this dude, uh, Dan Tobin, Gentleman Dan Caldwell. And he's just like got this wonderful accent and he's super charming and he like says stuff like, Oh, well, this I this is not the largest jail I've ever been in, but it, it has its charms. He's he's like reviewing. He's doing a fucking yeah. Yelp review of the jail cell. He calls cell. it a penal colony. Yeah. It's like, which kind of, the fa- like, this is not the largest penal colony I've been in, but I have to say it is the most charming. Like, it's weirdly, again, weirdly erotic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, he has this super weird line that I fucking loved of, the trooper is bringing him in. Uh, and on the way to, on the way out, he, like, turns around and he's like, here, thank you for your, your generosity and your kindness. Here is a cigar, which, why is he allowed to have cigars? Uh, here is a cigar. I have a little man in Tampa, Florida, who makes them for me. Which is, what is that? (laughs) Tampa? Tampa Uh, is where your cigar guy is? I guess maybe, like... We, you, it could be like, oh, it's it's Cuban, but then why not just say like it's Cuban? Why name drop one of the shittiest like places in Florida? <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> I I don't know if it was known that Tampa sucked at that point. Who knows? Like um, maybe Tampa. Maybe t- I I I spent a lot of time there as a kid. I will talk infinite shit on Tampa. You know um, what? You know what? Also, a- this is uh this is pre Disney World, so. Florida is not really on the map of most people, I don't think, uh, except was for as it? a beach destination. You know. So he was basically just like, I have a little man out in a swamp who makes cigars for me. Here you go, take one. <laughs> and the guy's just like, the guy isn't like, oh, golly gee willikers. He's just like, oh, cool. And he just bounces. Like, he's completely unfazed by it. Um, it's such a weird interaction. Like, here you go. Take my little swamp man uh, (laughs) cigar. So, so, uh, they lock Dan in his very clean and Lysol cell. Uh, and Barney asks for his autograph. Oh, God. And, uh. Andy to get rid of him is like, all right, Barney, go get the mail. And Barney's like, can I get you anything, Mr. Caldwell? And he's like, yes, cigars. Uh, which, so one of the things I, throughout the entire thing, I was charting the many, many ways Dan Caldwell can escape throughout this. First one that, uh, first one that immediately jumps out, he has cigars and a way to light said cigars in his jail cell. He also has a lot of very nice furniture and drapes. So he has a way to start a fire in his jail cell. Uh... So just immediately, like, he, he he's, they've already given him everything he needs to, like, burn the building down, get someone to come into his jail cell so that he can promptly knock Barney Fife unconscious and run away. Like, you, you might be thinking a little bit too, like, far ahead. My question is this. Is the key still hanging on the fucking wall like it normally oh is? Oh my god. <laughs> Damn it, I overlooked that. Yes, it probably is on the very likely event that Barney Fife locks himself in the jail cell as he frequently does. So, but yeah, he sends him out uh, to get mail and cigars and then Barney gets so excited because Dan says to him like, thank you, Barney. And they're on first name basis now. So he gets so, he's like, call me Barney. He said my name because we're on a first name basis. So freaking It's so erotic. It's so yeah. erotic. Yeah. Like, it is 
it is the seduction of Barney Fife by uh by the by the gangster Dan Caldwell. Like <laughs> he it's it's the most erotic episode. <laughs> fade to black, fade back. We're still in the jail. Now Opie's there and he's hearing a story of Babyface Nelson's escape. Uh and so Dan gentleman Dan telling the story of how he witnessed a, a gangster escape by having a fake gun, but he used a fake gun to get the guard to come in, and then he took the guard's real gun, foreshadowing, 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 mm-hmm. uh, and then he went Knocked to the- him out, took his clothes, and then escaped in a laundry truck. Right. And Opie is in, enraptured by this. As is, we learn when the camera cuts away, Barney, who is sitting there going, well, then what happened? Then what happened? <laughs> Also, potential escape opportunity number two. Opie's little face is pressed right up against the bars of a dangerous criminal. Dan Caldwell could literally just reach up, grab Opie by the head or neck, and just be like, Okay, so, I have your son. Like, right, he's right in my hand. Uh, Dan, Dan, Um, Dan, 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 Dan. come on, though. What? He's there to be a con man and as we like that's why he got arrested he's a confidence man and as we've discussed many many times on this show <laughs> confidence men don't resort to violence that's why andy doesn't even have a gun that's true i mean yeah yeah i guess he okay it's yeah, just, con man's ethic ethical code it's just it's below the caliber <laughs> such, such a such a low and dirty crime it's below the caliber of De- gentleman dan caldwell come on I, I, yeah okay all right you got me i i i forgot the con man's code yeah uh, that, that's on me that's on me okay so you've ruled out one of the one of the, the escape opportunities uh, uh, but but also, I feel like Andy Andy walks in and he's like, ah, I don't approve of this situation. And he should walk in and be like, Jesus, Opie, get away from the bars! Yeah, like, honestly, like, this is one of those times... Then this entire episode shows why you shouldn't have the kid fucking hanging out the at the jailhouse all the time uh, for what happens in this episode. Uh, so, enter Aunt B, uh, who is taking Opie to go shoe shopping. Uh, I don't know why he should have plenty of shoes. Yeah, because he wears them out from just like like tearing around town. He like Opie's shoes have a have a half life of like two minutes. Just saying, we watched Andy buy like eight pairs of shoes from uh from the guy in uh those Gospin men. Oh, I television's very important to me. <laughs> he should have a trunk of shoes. Oh, no, he Andy or- bought them all for himself. He was like on his seventh like shoe purchase. He was never like. I wonder if my son needs footwear. Nope, let's get me a nice pair of wingtips. For sale, Andy shoes never worn. <laughs> He's just using them as kindling while Opie has had holes in the soles of his. So, Aunt B enters uh, to take Opie for some shoes, and Opie suggests that Dan tell her the story of, like, the escaped criminal. And Gentleman Dan, like, lives up to his name and is basically just like, Oh, a high-class woman like your aunt is not interested in such stories. Oh, but an elegant creature she is, blah, blah, blah. And and Aunt B's just like, Oh, someone paid attention to me. Hmm. (laughs) Just, yeah, no, like, he immediately, like, 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 five seconds seduces Aunt B. She is on board immediately. Like, he, 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 he's seducing people left and right in this episode just like a super pansexual flirtatious charmer 
Uh, yeah. And then Andy enters, and Andy is pissed off, right? He's mad that here's his son uh, talking to this criminal and just getting stories from him. And Opie refers to him as Uncle Dan. Yeah. Opie calls him Uncle Dan, as does Barney. They both go, yes. bye, Uncle Dan. And basically, Andy kicks everyone out. He's just like, hey, weren't you going to buy some shoes? Go buy some shoes. And don't you have a job? He kicks everyone out, basically. He's pissed off. He's justified in kicking everyone out. The proper thing would do would be like, all right, everyone outside meeting right now. We're, some yelling is about to happen. Or really, he should have just screamed at Barney. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Barney should have been preventing all of this. But then this kicks off the best exchange of the episode. It's so, it's like the diner scene in Heat. Care for a cigar, sir? No, thanks. I can't afford it. You do real well for yourself, don't you? Uncle Dan. You win a few, lose a few? Got quite a knack. I mean, the way you make friends so easy. Oh, that's my business, Sheriff. Making friends. Seem to have made quite a few right here in Mayberry. They're nice people, Sheriff. I'd like to do something for them. Sure you wouldn't like for them to do something for you? You never know. You never know. And then they just have, like, this really tense moment of just, like, I fucking, I see what you're doing. Like, and and it's sort of like a, a really tense moment of, like, Andy recognizes what Dan Caldwell's plan is, and he's just, like... Like, it is, it's weird how he's not, he, he doesn't do anything immediately to stop it. He sees it happening, and he's, he's furious about it. So, so then we go to the kitchen of Andy's house, uh, and Aunt B's cooking. Uh, Dan Caldwell's about to leave tomorrow, but Andy's given Aunt B a load of shit. He's just like, oh, you found, uh, found that, that gentleman Dan really charming, huh? Yeah, you know, he charms a lot of people. He charmed a lady in Tennessee out of uh, her entire life savings, you know? Did you hear? He charms a lot of people out of a lot of things. He's really, he's like being real passive-aggressive about it, like super petty. Enter, enter Opie. He's wearing, again, his awesome pajamas. Andy goes to uh, tell him a story, uh, like he normally mm. does. And he begins to tell it, and I love the, like, Stone Cold, again, Stone Cold Opie on this one. And he's just like, so would you, would you like to hear another story about Jack? Another story about Jack and his, interested in that? And Opie's just like, not particularly. And then Opie just basically goes like, do you have any stories about, like, gangsters or shootouts or, like, like these great robberies that happened in Georgia? And, and he's like, well... No, and then Opie goes like, "Okay, well then, fuck off! Like, get the fuck out of here with your weak ass stories about idiots and beanstalks. I want to hear some shooting." Right. So then he basically goes off to bed, and the stinger is that he stole a phrase from Dan Caldwell, where he's like, "On my word as a gentleman," which is the same thing that everyone keeps doing. Um, yeah. When when Andy uh, asks if Opie's going to read read books in bed, that is like, "You promise you're not going to read books in bed." On my word as a gentleman. Well, no, it's Opie, so... On my word as a gentleman! <laughs> Alright, so... Now is where stuff really gets gets going. Um, so we're sitting outside of Dan's jail cell, where Barney is on duty. 
And they're going to play a game of gin rummy. And I was hoping it was a game of poker, but I guess they don't play poker on this show. Uh, but Maybe poker is too sinful of a game. Maybe, maybe. maybe it's uh, it, it, it's too closely assi- uh, too closely associated with the sins of alcohol. Wait a minute, dude. The game is called Gin Rummy. Oh, it's, it's it just contains, a name. It contains the words gin and rum. Well, old, old maid doesn't involve the transaction of old ladies. I don't know what to tell you here. Like, <laughs> it can be in the name. It's like, like maybe, like, poker is associated with gambling. Like, hey. it's, it's a Las Vegas game. Like, gin, I, admittedly, I've never played gin rummy. I feel like it's pretty, like, benign and wholesome. So the point is, they're playing cards. Uh, Dan and Barney are playing cards. Dan points out that it's pretty inconvenient to play cards with your hands through the bars. Uh, And Barney, being a complete and total idiot, says, You know what? You're right. Well, you know what? If we don't tell Andy, I'll just go on in there and we'll play. He goes in. He sets up the small table. They start to play. Barney drops a card. He drops a card twice. The first time he drops a card, Dan gets a look at the gun on his hip. Then he he drops a card a second time. Uh, and this time Dan sets him up. He's just like, oops, dropped my card. And what's kind of cool is that when Barney drops the fir- card the first time, uh, they do a shot of Dan Caldwell looking at the gun. And it's the first time that Dan Caldwell sort of facade drops. Like he stops like being smiling and charming. And then like shot of the gun, shot of Dan Caldwell looking like real sweaty and like and kind of manic and bug eyed. And yeah, then yeah. Barney comes back up, and and the the mask is back on, and he's just like, "Oh, it took you long enough." Like it's 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 a really cool like bit of character development from from the way the show is shot. So then he drops the card again. Barney goes down to pick it up. By the way, the camera pans with Barney. So now Dan is out of frame, and then they pan back up, and Dan is in frame. Uh, and Barney looks at his hands, and he says. I don't know what to tell you, Dan. Looks like I've got the winning hand. And then we cut to Dan Caldwell, complete center of the screen, takes Barney's gun, points it at the screen, almost breaking the fourth wall, and says, no, Barney, I'm afraid I have the winning hand. Now, I love this shot of Dan pointing the gun right at the screen. I posted it on our Twitter uh compared to the 1903 silent film The Great Train Robbery, which has the famous image of the cowboy shooting a gun at the screen, uh, which is one of the first like popular silent films. That same imagery uh, was used by Scorsese in uh, Goodfellas, so that's the last time you see Joe Pesci is him shooting his pistol at the screen. Side by side, the the homage is is telling. like it's, uh, It has to be intentional. I mean- um and it's it's again credit where credit is due to famed divorce lawyer bob sweeney <laughs> he really comes into his own as a director in this one. Oh like, yeah there's there's a lot of stuff we'll we'll get into the next ep- next bit too but there's a lot of stuff that they do with this direction here that i think you lose in sitcoms in the 70s and 80s so now he's pulled the gun on uh he's pulled the gun on barney and he gets up and he locks Barney in the cell and takes his coat. Unfortunately, enter Aunt B and Opie. And uh, Gentleman Dan says, I'm very sorry, Aunt B. I'm going to need you and Opie to get in the cell. Uh, and Don't make this any harder than it has to be. Dan Tobin is like, like he is 
chewing scenery and spitting it on the ground this entire thing. Like, he's, like, he's, he's, he's still really understated, but, like, he's just exuding menace this entire time. Uh, it's, like, he, he's, like, uh, like, he purrs the line. He's, like, I'm very sorry that you all had to get wrapped up in this, but I'm going to need you to get in the cell. Like, it's so, his line reading is so fucking good. Rules, it rules so hard. And B obviously understands the, like, the situation. Opie does not. Opie believes, Opie who does not have object permanence and has zero uh, self-preservation instincts is just like, this is a fun game. Yeah, he's gonna lock us up. Woohoo! Hey! He he yells like, "Ah, hell yeah! Dan Caldwell's breaking out! Fuck yeah! Yeah! So on board! Yeah! Someone can die! Woohoo! My dad's getting fired! (laughs) Fuck yeah! Oh, we're gonna be part of a story! I see no downside to this. But before Aunt B and Opie are locked in." That's when Andy comes in, and Andy immediately recognizes the situation. Uh, and Opie's just like, hey, Dad, check it out. We're about to get locked up. Check this shit out, Pa. And then, like, and then we have the showdown, the standoff between Andy and Dan. And Andy, like, this is where, it, like you said, Andy kind of becomes a bear. Like, super masculine is just like, so, uh, so that Barney's gun you got there, huh? And... Dan's just like, mm-hmm, being all smug. And and then a giant smile, like like the big, goofy Andy Griffith smile, like, creeps across his face. And he's like, all right, we're fine. He's literally doing Dirty Harry at this point. He's definitely doing the, like, do you feel lucky punk bit. Yes. Because he knows how many bullets are in the gun, or at least he thinks he does. Meanwhile, Barney is behind him, go- behind Dan, going, no! Yeah, Barney no! is shitting himself. He's, like, like pointing at his, his shirt pocket. Yeah, again, there are, like, potential repercussions for Barney's behavior here, and nobody does anything about it. No, and Barney Fife should just go, like, hey, Andy, th- I know you think there's no bullets in the gun, but there is bullets in the gun. Let him go. He's about to shoot you in the face. And so, why is he pantomiming? Why is he trying to non-verbally signal to Andy that there's no, like, he should just just say it. Just say like, "Hey, man, uh, I know you, I told you that there were there were no bullets. There are bullets. Uh, just j- just let this one go. I don't want you to die." And instead, he's like doing shtick. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. And this is, by the way, just like the the tone of this scene is very good. Like it's the seriousness, the severity of it, the drama is played pretty well. Again, Bob Sweeney's doing this real well. Uh, Ronnie Howard's like inability to say anything at a normal volume actually comes in handy here because there's a moment where he just like runs up and looks right at the camera because he suddenly realizes what's going on and he's like, "You wouldn't shoot my paw. <laughs> just you wouldn't shoot my paw." Like. Uh, he 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 announces like the desperation of a child who doesn't want to see his father die with like the same way he normally delivers that he would like milk and just the scene has finally risen to that level uh take, take that ron howard take that director of a beautiful mind ron howard <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. yeah the scene rules so much and, yeah and so like don Knotts is like gesturing and andy just goes like there are no bullets in that gun. I don't let my deputy have any bullets because he's a dangerous moron. <laughs> All right, and and 
Dan Caldwell was like, all right, well, this is sad. Of course there are bullets in your deputy's gun. What kind of deputy wouldn't be allowed to be armed? And Andy is just like, well, then pull the trigger. And Dan Caldwell, like, thankfully points the gun up. It still doesn't, uh doesn't go off when he when he fires it click, click. because Barney is too incompetent to load the gun right. Click, click, he click, puts click, it, click, click. Yep. Yeah, he puts it at the bottom of the chamber, so it's like three clicks, and then he just like looks at it, and Andy just kind of like sidles over, takes the gun away from him, pushes him in the cell. Uh, and then the kicker is uh, Andy stands up and he's like taunting Dan Calder. He's like, you think of this, you trying to shoot me with a gun as empty as this one. And then, like, points the gun up at the at the ceiling, pulls the trigger, it goes off, and, like, plaster, like, rains down over him. And then there is this great moment where Barney and Andy share extremely genuine horror. Like, the sort of the cartoonishness subsides, and Barney's goes like, ah, oh god, I'm so sorry, I, I, told, I tried to tell you that there were still bullets. And Andy, like, collapses, and is like, oh my god, there were bullets in the gun! And, like, they're both, like, sort of, like, like, jit, like, horrified <laughs> together. But what should have happened was the next scene should have been, like, Andy, like, Aunt B and Opie trying to pull Andy off of Opie, off, off of Barney as he, like, starts beating him. Just going, like, you almost orphaned my son! You almost got I me don't... killed! You could have gotten my son killed! What is wrong with you? Yeah. Why are you like this? <laughs> Why? I just told you to stop putting bullets in your gun! Why can't you follow orders? I almost died! Just, and just like like beating Barney to a pulp and just screaming. So the stinger of this, the stinger of this, uh, Gentleman Dan has been picked up, he's no longer there, uh, and they're reviewing wanted posters, Barney and Andy are, and Barney says, well, we're not gonna have to worry about Gentleman Dan Caldwell anymore. And Andy's like, no, we're not. He's still pissed. Like, and, and and Barney's like, well, you were right. He was a slippery one. Hope you don't mind that I got caught up in that. And Yeah, I, I hope you don't mind that I took on a fanboyish quality to the our adversary. Andy, Andy says that he didn't mind that so much. But what he did mind was that that guy was able to take a gun off of you. You're a trained officer of the law. He calls him a trained officer of the law. And a common criminal is stealing your gun without you noticing? And, of course, Barney protests and says, What, you think a common criminal? Dan Caldwell is a special crim- kind of criminal. A normal criminal couldn't do anything. Well, I, well, I dropped down. And, again, they do the same trick. He, like, bends down to pick up a pantomime, picking up a card. The camera pans with him. Camera pans back up. Andy has the gun. Andy? And Andy just goes, like, stick him up, Patsy. And it's like, it, it's the best scene because, like, Andy just goes like, Hey, Barney, have you ever noticed that you're wildly incompetent and bad at your job? And Andy is like, no, I'm not. And then Andy just goes like, okay, well, here's proof. All right, I guess fade to black. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, fade to black. This is, an inc- this is an incredible indictment of Barney as, like, like, every episode is an indictment of Barney's ability to do his job. This one's special. Like... Fade to black as as Andy probably kills Barney. Like, <laughs> it would have been justifiable. Like, imagine if he had been, like, like explaining himself before the town folk. They would have been like, well, why'd you shoot Barney? He'd be like, hey, you know how the reason I let this lunatic just run around your streets in 
probably harassing all of you. Uh, you know how it's because he can help me cr- catch criminals? Turns out he can't do that because he gets too horny at the sight of them. So yeah, and they'll just be like, oh, really? Okay, yeah, fuck that guy. Alright, so that's that's the end of that episode. Uh, let's move on to Cyrano Andy. The even hornier of an episode. You the- know, it, it is, but it also, it's it's not good. It's not David Adler horny. It's shit. Oh my god, are you kidding me? No, it's, 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 this is- it's, it's not the good or the interesting kind. This is the embarrassing kind that just makes you go, these people are adults. I feel like David Adler read the script for this episode at, like like it was Amadeus. Like he was like, it should have been me. I should have written this one. I, I thought we had to be subtle. I just I hate the shenanigans that this shit gets into, but let's go ahead and uh This episode is like uh is like a middle school dance right in that period before like everyone realizes that you can just start grinding on each other, like where 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 you're everyone's like still doing dancing. Like it's it's that amount of like weird juvenile sexual tension running through the entire thing. It's fucking incredible. Alright, so here's the one sentence description from Wikipedia. Andy tries to help Barney win over Thelma Lou, but Barney thinks Andy is trying to steal her away. Alright, so we start off by someone's house, and Andy... It's probably Ellie's. Yeah, I think I think it is. We've seen Ellie's house before, so they're hanging out at Ellie's house. It's Ellie, and Andy, and Barney, and Thelma Lou, who I guess is, is Barney's girlfriend now. Uh, he's playing his fucking guitar, Andy is. That- Fucking guitar! I'm so the fucking guitar and the fucking harmonica. I'm sick of both of them. Yeah, I'm I'm tired of it. And they're eating cake and whatnot. But and this is by the way, I think the first time we've like gotten some kind of confirmation that Andy and Ellie are definitely in a relationship. Like, yeah, they are definitely like touching and kissing and being like like they're together. Uh, while uh Barney and Thelma Lou sit on the opposite couch, like as far apart as humanly possible. Uh, and Barney just looks petrified. I, w- I want to call attention a bit to the costume design here, where, like, Barney Fife, who's such a tiny man, is wearing this, like, giant, like, talking heads, giant suit that is just falling off of him. <laughs> it's really funny. It's um, great. But also, what is this date? Like, it's 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 like, it's a double date, but they just hang out at a house, and Andy plays a guitar, and then... There's there's a part where like like Ellie is like, does anyone else want cake? And Barney starts to go like, oh, you know, I could have more cake. And Andy goes like, no, you couldn't. We're all done with cake. And then just sort of like starts to sort of like make out with Ellie. But then just like, I I don't think they can actually show them making out. So he just kind of like rubs his nose on her face a little bit. Like they kind of nuzzle. No more cake. Um, it's time to just like, like stare at each other for a while. <laughs> Like was it was the plan like they were just going to like almost make out with each other next to each other? Like it's it, it feels it, it really feels like a swingers group where like only one couple in the swing is into it. Like yeah, it feels like the setup is less like a double date, more like an orgy. Uh, but yeah, a double date is like you go out to a restaurant together. You don't do the. The hooking up at the end of the night part together. I, 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 I've never been on that kind of a double date. <laughs> so there's a uh, so there's a, a power failure 
Uh, Marty, have you been on that kind of a double date? So there's a power failure. And That's a fucking yes. There's a power failure. And there's there's a quick power outage and the uh, lights dim. And uh, Ellie explains that this has been happening every once in a while. It only lasts for a couple of seconds. And Andy's like, I think it makes it more romantic. And so the lights go up, the lights go down. Our our in crumbles infrastructure really just ups the sexual tension. And so the light goes down, light goes up, light goes down, and then Barney has now moved over to uh, the couch next to Andy and Ellie. It's pretty funny. The timing of it's good. So finally, Andy's just like, "All right, this isn't going anywhere." So he kicks. So he kicks uh, Andy out. Or, so he kicks Barney out to go. Uh, walk Thelma Lou home. And so they're walking, he's walking Thelma Lou home and he's just talking about fingerprinting the entire time. They get to the porch and Thelma Lou's like, so, uh, like she's... Sure was an informational walk home. Yeah, she's, she's indicating that she would be interested in like talking about kissing, maybe doing some kissing. Doing yeah. any, she's she's like really laying it down hard. Just like, come on, man, just come and get. Like, it's he, it's fine. Just go. Like it's cool. You like, can do this. Come on, buddy. <laughs> she has like like giant signs pointing to her face. Like I like I, you're you're safe. The green light has been given, but Barney just goes, "Well, bye, good night." And I mean, the, the problem is, is that she's never shot a, a, a prison guard, so he just can't get anything going yeah, sexually. Yeah, um, yeah. So we go back to the, it's the next day, we're at the jailhouse, uh, Andy and Opie are playing checkers, uh, Andy's getting his ass kicked at checkers by his, like, I guess idiot savant child prodigy son. I don't know. His no object permanence having no survival instinct son is whooping his ass at a game of logic. Yeah. Like his dumbass illiterate son is just annihilating him at checkers. It's not a good moment for him. It's not like, great. <laughs> Barney comes in and Andy immediately goes into like 12 year old girl mode. Like, so. How'd it go? Like, he's, like, batting his eyelashes and shit. He's like, eh? Eh? This episode is so fucking high school. It's insanely high school. Is it because it's in the 1960s? But, like, or is it because it's a family show? I don't I don't like, know, but, like, the fact that it's so high school really irritated me. Because, first off, like, this is the first episode where I realized, oh, shit, how big is the age difference between Andy and Ellie? It has to be huge, right? And it's the first episode where I'm like, these people are are adults. And, like, not just, a, not like young adults. These people are old as fuck and they're doing this shit. And it, it pissed me off, honestly. I did not care <laughs> for it. <laughs> Why do you think this struck a nerve with you? I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like you're, you're grown. Let's, <laughs> like, let's, let's follow this. It's just the, the way that these people are portrayed, right? They're, they're grown men and women. Um, and it's, you know. A lot of it's just that, like, sitcom trope that I hate, where, like, all these wacky misunderstandings that could be cleared up with literally just one person having a, a small, short conversation with another person. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's one thing to see that done when it's, like, children. But it's another thing to see that done when these people are in their 30s and 40s. 
and it, it, I don't, it, it creeps me out to watch these grown adults in this small town acting like like children. It's just it feels to me like I don't know, like well, do you, like, like a decent writer would have was... found a way to make them better about this. I don't know. Maybe this was just like as a result of like the sexual mores of the time. Maybe this is a genuine like portrait of what it was like to do be in an adult romance. Maybe it was. I mean, teenager as fuck. Look, Elvis and James Brown were releasing records at this time, dude. People were fucking. I yeah, no, people were fucking, but maybe like you couldn't talk about fucking so much that like it, everything took on a high school quality because it does have that 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 quality of like like it it, it it does feel like everyone is like like ooh, we're one summer break away from finally going all the way. Yeah, and it, it does sort of have that quality, but maybe that's kind of like maybe you weren't allowed to talk about your sex life so much that that just never stops. It's you know what it is. It is like this feels very much like it could have been and probably was an episode of a different Ron Howard show, Happy Days, which is about teenagers, and it's 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 I, that that's what's getting me with this. Is it's like really weird. When these are like grown adults in their forties, uh, and also it took it really called attention to that age difference between Ellie and Andy for me. Uh, like I guess never clicked. Um, I I did not. Wait, like how this. old do you think that? Uh, how old do you think uh, Eleanor Donahue is in this? Look, Ellie, the character, probably like she just got out of pharmacy school, so she's probably in her oh, early twenties, okay. right? And Andy, you know, he has a son. He's probably at least thirty five. Uh, it, it's bothering me. See, I, I, I've, I've never been that bothered by like by by age differences between like uh between people in a couple. Like that's never been a, a hang up for me. I've known people who were like like I, I had a friend uh in college who was like nineteen and dating a guy in his fifties. Uh, that's weird. That's, never, that's weird, man. I, that's never that's never struck me as that weird. Whatever, like whatever gets you through, like what, like. As long as it's fucking legal. Wait, was that legal? That's let's a, check on that and make sure that's legal and edit it out if it wasn't. Um, no, let's let's. You know, you know what it is. Most of the time is like, it it's legal, sure, but it's a difference in like life experience that takes me like like I feel like when you've got a difference of like nineteen and fifty, what do those people talk about? Like those people have such a different like life experience level that it's incredibly easy for that 50 year old to take advantage of that 19 year old but then again then again in the case of andy and ellie right she probably has way more life experience than he does in the fact that she's left she's lived in more than one town so eh. i i think in like in like after a certain point i give people benefit of the doubt in that regard but to circle back to uh like to circle back to Andy and Ellie, their age difference doesn't really bother me because she, yeah, he doesn't seem much more worldly than her at any point. Like he's never like, like, like explaining anything to her. Or in, in fact, she's often like running circles around him in terms of just basic intelligence. It didn't bother so that- me until this episode. I didn't even notice until this episode. I, this this episode bothers me. Is I guess what we're getting at here. We haven't even gotten you got, to the, you, you, you got some hangups. I, we haven't even gotten to the point of the fucking episode yet. Um, <laughs> let's fucking let's charge ahead. Uh, uh, all okay, right. So 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 
It, it moves so, on from the scene. Yeah. Oh wait, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead, so go we're, ahead. we're we're still at we're still at the jail. So they they kick out Opie. Opie's like, "What the hell? I've heard about kissing before, but whatever." And so they like Andy just teases him because like, "So did you did you do some kissing? Did you do some making out? What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do?" And Barney's like, "No, I I, I chickened out. I can't think about like this kind of stuff. I get really nervous." And Andy's like, well, what would you tell her if you could? And there's this really good monologue that that Don Knotts gives. Uh, it's an all right monologue. Okay, the the monologue itself is kind of garbage writing, but yeah, Don Knotts is really good, and I really like the framing of it. They point it so that, like, for once, Don Knotts gets to be the tall one in the in the front in the foreground, and he's acting his ass off for this monologue. And Andy's kind of sitting back in the chair, like watching and being amazed. And it's 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 a good moment for Barney. It's a good moment for Don Knotts. Uh, and it's like it's one of those things I think that we lost when we went to the like three camera format for sitcoms. You know, the Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience mm-hmm. kind of thing. We lost this ability to like play around in a room that this thing has we lost these cool shots in the last episode we talked about the cool shot where we actually for once see inside the jail pointing out you know you can't really do that uh with the like standard sitcom format and we're starting to get some better uh television looks now as as like better and better directors move into the television sphere so but like I, I I hate his guts, but Brett Easton Ellis has a line that he likes to talk about about the difference between TV and movies, which is in movies the the camera is a character, and in TV it is not. The, the camera doesn't have any personality in TVs, which in it uh, the camera doesn't have any personality in TV, which in this I kind of see like the 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 Andy Griffith show's camera has personality and it sort of like moves and has more of a mind of its own yeah yeah and and in in modern comedies especially stuff like uh like the office you know the mockumentary kind of stuff they really the camera literally is a character uh and we're getting we're getting more and more cool camera stuff like that recently but for a while especially with sitcoms you know it really because you were limited because you're literally on a set in a warehouse somewhere uh, in the Andy mm. Griffith show, that's an actual building. They built the town of Mayberry on a forty-acre lot in in Burbank somewhere, and they used Wait, that. Really? Town- yeah, that's an actual. There are three sets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's an actual building. I mean, it's it's not like a up to code building. You couldn't live there, but like there are four walls, and you actually see the same street. You see Mayberry in a lot of TV shows uh, and movies from that time. Because they just had a, a they just had a, a fake town, basically. Uh, if, Every if, single episode in the Andy Griffith show was a bottle episode. Why did they need to build a town? I don't know, but uh, it, it worked out for stuff like this because you had an actual room to play around in. Uh, so Barney gets that cool monologue. Listen to our Patreon episode where we break onto the set of the Andy Griffith show. He takes it upon himself to go to Thelma Lou. And explain to her all the things that Barney said about how wonderful she is and how she is the cats. I'm assuming the cats. He says the cats. (laughs) You're the cats. You're the cats. When I'm shaving, I think about how she's the cats. And when I wash my feet, I think about how she's also the cats. (laughs) 
this is these are the things i'd like to say to her and andy's like oh my god that's romantic as all hell he called her the cats twice he doesn't even move on to the bees (laughs) the bees and or the knees (laughs) he doesn't do it so (laughs) it's 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 such a shitty romantic soliloquy he's just like sometimes when i'm shaving i think about how my girlfriend is you know, pretty neat. I, yeah, and I think I like. I I think she's real keen. Think about her <laughs> her keenness all the time. It, it's a I'd like garbage. To take her to the. Mu- I'd like to take her to the malt shop and you know listen to her stories for five minutes and then leave the malt shop. Oh, my heart yearns with lust. <laughs> it's a garbage monologue, but done not to selling it. Um, <laughs> the writing is so bad. I love it. <laughs> So so Andy goes over and explains all the stuff that film that it, Barney told her and she's like, "Well, I'd still like to hear it from him." And Andy's just like, "Well, I don't know what to tell you. It's not going to happen later." And she just, Yeah. Yeah, no, Andy just goes like, "Well, you're doomed. I'm going to fuck off." Like, yeah, I don't know how just, Andy thought he was helping there. <laughs> I just wanted to give you a brief taste of, you know, the affection that you will never feel. Um, I hope if you solve this, give me a call. I'm going to go to my, I'm going to go home. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So Andy, Andy he walks out the door whistling with his hands in his pockets like a prick. <laughs> I helped. Like, <laughs> I did something in the vague zip code of helping. So as soon as Andy leaves, Selma gets on the phone and she calls Barney. Uh, and she says something like, Hey, Barney, guess who just came calling on me? What? So then we we move to the next scene. We're in the jail. Andy's just doing his stuff. And then Barney comes in and he's like, all right, let's throw down. He like puts his belt on and he's like, put him up, put him up. And he's really (laughs) mad at uh, Andy for calling on his girl. Uh, And I feel like we've seen this before, but whatever. He goes from physical violence to just general huffiness almost immediately. He's like, first, I need you to say that you tried to seduce my girlfriend and then I'm going to fight you. And he's like, okay, well, I did technically do all the stuff you're accusing me of. And and Barney just like puts his fist down. He's like, how could you do that? Come on. Like, it's he just goes, gets so huffy over it. Like, rather than like any like actual rage. Rather than actual fight, because Andy's refusing to fight, uh, Barney says, all right, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and steal your woman, which, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> it's Eleanor goddamn Donahue, and your chin is concave. <laughs> but also, uh, when he, when, uh, when Andy is like, how are you going to seduce Ellie? He is just as incredulous as we are. He's like, well, you know, I'm just going to pretend to be Rock Hudson. Which is, they, they've mentioned Rock Hudson so many times just in this episode alone. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of weird that they keep, cause Rock Hudson was like famously, uh, outed as, as, as being gay. So it, it's just also Rock Hudson was murdered by the Reagans. Uh, well, not murdered, but, uh, Nancy Reagan prevented, uh, Rock Hudson from getting AIDS treatment, uh, causing his death. It, it's it's sort of weird that like one of this like th- this great tragic like figure of a uh, of gay American history is like repeatedly brought up in such like a flippant way. It's it's 
it's sort of like like has this weird macabre nature. So we go to the pharmacy uh, where Barney attempts to seduce Ellie, who is very confused by this entire thing. Um, and he fails, naturally, and then gets angry. He he does like the, the it's actually the bit from a 40-year-old virgin of like, just ask a lot of confusing questions and lean in real close. And he just, be, like, he, she's like, can I help you with anything? And Donna just goes like, does it always have to be a thing? And he also has a giant fucking stupid Superman spit curl on his forehead. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a it's a great shitty seduction. Do you want to explain the weird stupid mess of like he said she said he's flirting bullshit that happens next cuz I I don't want to. <laughs> yes. So, uh Ellie shows up and just says like, "Hey, so Barney tried to seduce me." It was horrible. It was like a seven car pile up. Uh, Anderson Cooper showed up in a vest and just reported on it on CNN. It was, it was a massacre. Why did this just happen to me? And Andy explains the situation and he's like, Thelma Lou is trying to make Barney jealous by saying that she's in love with me. Uh, uh, and he's trying to seduce you to get back at me. Uh, and and Thelma, they just like sort of immediately just going like, oh man, this is so sad for Barney. Uh, why is this happening to this poor man? And and he just goes like, I wish I'd done nothing because I've made everything infinitely worse. Um, and uh, then they, in, in the process of reflecting on how sad of a person Barney Fife is, he goes like, well, you know, if you had actually given in to his seduction attempt, he would have just run away from you because he's a sexual coward. Uh, and then Ellie goes like, well, that gives me an idea. And then you, normally this would just be like where you cut away because you've sort of implied the plan and then you get to watch the plan play out. And they explain the plan nope. in such agonizing, excruciating detail that it's fantastic. Like, all right, bear with me now. What if I I go to Thelma Lou's house and you go to, and you have Barney over and then I try to seduce Thelma Lou and at the same time, you try to seduce Barney and then what's going to happen is both of them will be wildly uncomfortable with the seduction. And then what we're thinking is going to happen is that uh, is that they'll be so uncomfortable that they'll run back to each other. And we're going to do this at this, this, and this time. And also, here's what you should be wearing. Like, they go into such minute detail on camera. And, like, it did... Did they just write down the writer's meeting? Like, is it's... here's here's the notes. We got like three more minutes to fill in this episode. Just also, we 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 got it. We got to call attention to the line where, like, after uh, Ellie explains the plan to Andy, uh, who is pretty thick-headed. Like, they basically they, they they make Andy look thick-headed so that they can explain the plan to the audience. And then Andy has this line where he's like, "Oh, Ellie, you got a really pretty face and a really handsome brain." This, like an awful handsome brain. Just like, oh, you got the brain of a man up in there. It's like, oh my god. Oh god. Yeah, no, it's like Like the the next moment should have been her going, What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what what? Okay. What? What? Alright. 
we're gonna run through every syllable of that thing you just said. That's the remainder of our evening. The next thing that ha- the the next shot is actually I think one of the more complex uh scene structures that the Andy Griffith show has done so far in that it jumps back and forth between uh two different settings in rapid succession, which. I think must have blown minds back then. It, it, oh, but it has the exact opposite effect, though, because it really, this whole thing just kind of blends together for me. Like, really? Yeah. I, I thought they, they both, they, they structure it pretty well in that, like, both of the things sort of happen in parallel. Like, they, it starts out a long scene of Andy trying uh, to seduce Thelma Lou on the porch, saying, like, you know, it was it was a lie you told at first, but but then it became real for me, and I want you so bad. And then they do uh, the the back of the pharmacy where Eleanor, where El- Ellie lures Barney into the back of the pharmacy, uh, and then they do like long versions of each, and then shorter and shorter and shorter until it's just like two second shots. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. It was like a nice little uh, nice little scene structure. Also, the best the best part is, like, Andy does his seduction, and it's, like, just, you know, Andy Griffith doing a monologue the same way he does, like, Shakespeare or any other thing. And, like, Eleanor Donahue doing a hardcore, no-holds-barred, like, like multi-million dollar movie seduction on Don Knotts. Like, like she's doing, like, the, the, the breathy voice. And, and, like, she lures him into the back of the pharmacy, which... He charges into with a with a loaded gun drawn because he thinks that there might be vandals. It it really is a porn setup, right? Like, because called the officer to the scene. I was so scared, but now your nightstick is here. Like, it's <laughs> is that a flashlight or are you just happy to see me? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's Eleanor Donahue acts the living. Fuck out of the seduction, and it—it's it, for me. It saves the episode because she does such a good job on Don Knotts, yeah, which yeah. I think makes it like hilarious that like she like like Andy just does like a normal like Andy Griffith show style seduction, and Eleanor Donahue isn't even on the same network anymore. <laughs> then uh, Andy professes his love for Thelma Lou. She says that she vaguely wants to fuck barney fife he she goes way less hardcore on it but it's 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 ellie so yeah yeah. um uh they both like line up these matching shots of andy going for a kiss on uh on thelma lou ellie giving going for a kiss on uh on barney fife uh both of them turn away kiss on the cheek (gasps) andy eleanor and then they both like run away like their like their hair is on fire which, in the case of Andy's porch seduction, is kind of yeah, creepy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely these two things are not that equal. Um, yeah. So we go uh, back to the jail, and now Ellie and Andy are on the phone, and they're like, "Hey, it worked. Uh, that plan we had worked out perfectly." Um, they did. They do another full on like summary, like, "Hey, remember that plan we had to seduce two people, but then they'd be so unhappy with our seduction that they'd get back together." Like, like yeah, did, that were just they happened. worried? Were they worried that the audience forgot what happened during the ad for cigarettes and Cadillacs? Like, I don't. 
Yes, yes, that is exactly what happened. Uh, or they were just like, "All right, we got, um, we got, we got uh, fifteen seconds to kill. Let's just. What if we just explained the episode? Do you think these idiots would notice?" And the answer was probably no. So Barney comes in, uh, and he like confesses to Andy what Ellie did the other day or that night, and Barney, Andy's just like. Sure, whatever. Barney and Thelma Lou run into each other outside. Uh, and they kind of finally have a talk with each other. Kind of explain that, uh, you know, nothing happened between me and Ellie, but I, because I'm, I like you. And that's it. They walk off kind of like arm in arm together. Like, they don't just say, um, Nothing happened. They're both like, so something really bad happened to me that I'm really upset about. Do you want to get back together so that this thing will stop happening to us? Like, they're both like, they're not like, they they both like refer to being seduced by Andy and Ellie as like a traumatic event. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Uh, Uh, And then they walk off. this, This episode's already running pretty long. So let's just go straight to our ratings. Uh, all right, so Andy and the Gentleman Crook, Andy Meter, quality. How good is this episode? This episode so fucking ten. It's so good. Full stop. Ten. Yeah, it's so good. It it's 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 almost hard to believe that this is part of this fucking show. <laughs> like it's this would be of like of another show. This would be like like a a, a a seven or an eight for the Andy Griffith show. It's been so bad for so long that I'm like I. I I I I I want to like like melt this episode down and inject it directly into my my veins. It's so good. It it it's go- it's good the entire way through. This is crazy for this show. You, you know you know what I I want to point something out by the way. I'm looking at an image from this episode. It's the image of Gentleman Dan and Barney playing cards. And for the first time I'm actually looking at the accoutrement of uh, Gentleman Dan's d- jail cell. He's got a television in there. He's got a TV. He's got a coffee table. He's got a lamp. But please please bear in mind, we've established that you can't even get a TV in the actual hotel in Mayberry. Uh, Barney just broke into someone's house and was like, I'm using my deputy authority to take this for a criminal. And Floyd just sort of sat there in his <laughs> extremely strained marriage like, like just okay i guess we don't have that anymore because you know as soon as barney like as soon as this whole incident happened barney just took it out to the alley behind the jail cell and threw it on the pavement so yeah for for me this is also a 10 because of the little touches like that (laughs) it's such a good fucking episode uh fifo meter of like moral reprehensibility like i don't know this is this still is an episode about a cop getting his gun stolen from him. Uh but I mean that's kind of the drama three, four, four, five. Really? Uh, so I I mean Barney is so and after a certain point I I have to get numb to how bad Barney is at his job. Barney is his one job is to just keep criminals, actual real criminals. From doing crime stuff. And this is like the one time to justify his existence. And he does it aggressively bad. It 
it pisses me off that like the most punishment we get is a is like an exasperated yell, Barney. You know, okay, like okay. like he just dropped a cake or something. Think about I'm I'm gonna talk you into changing your score. Think about this episode, and then think about Andy saves Barney's morale. Think just think about those in rapid succession. How much Barney enforces the law at children and old people. Oh yeah. How yeah, much yeah, Barney yeah, enforces yeah. the law in an actual literal gangster. Uh, Alright. Six, I guess. Six five. Yeah. Alright. Three was yeah, three was low. Like the it, it, the just how sheerly terrible Barney is it is at his job in this episode, I, I think deserves like a six or a seven. I I'm gonna say seven. Okay. Alright. So ratings for Cyrano Andy. Uh, a- Andy meter, Dan. How good is it? Um, it's not very good, but I enjoyed it so much. It's so it's badly written, but it's badly written in a way that I really enjoyed. I'm gonna say a six. I'm gonna say a four. I did not okay. care for this episode. I don't know. I don't know if anyone can tell by my lack of interest in the latter half of this podcast. But uh, uh yeah, this was a four for me, and uh. I mean, do you did you get like real burnt out on Degrassi a while ago? Is, like, <laughs> is, has high school antics just like lost all flavor for you? Or no, no, is it that you're watching so much of Riverdale that like you're like I've seen high school sexual tension uh, he- he- like headed shoulders above this? I was about to say because I've been watching so much Riverdale and listening to our friends at Sex Archie, where children are allowed to act like total adults right down to like signing legal papers and owning property that uh that watching it go the other way around is pissing me off i guess um and you know for, for that matter as well like the fifo meter is also gonna be like a four for me because you're fucking adults <laughs> <laughs> I love how much this episode bothers you. And I, I don't think we totally solved it, but it's so good. I want to figure out why, like, of all the things, this pissed you off so much. We, I feel like we need to do another decompression psychoanalysis episode for this one. It's just, okay, it's just, Shut up and give your ratings, Dan. <laughs> Uh, all right, so I said I said a six, I think, and for rep- moral reprehensibility, there's some stuff about like about gender dynamics we didn't get a chance to get into because of how pissed you got. Um, I'm gonna say four, five, three, three, three. fine. All right, all right. <laughs> I enjoyed this so much more than you. Right, as always, if you want to watch these episodes, they are all available on Netflix uh, or Amazon prime video or the internet anywhere you want uh if you want to follow along with us please get in touch with us on the internet you can follow us on twitter we are at break mayberry or you can email us breaking mayberry at gmail.com facebook.com slash breaking mayberry and now on youtube youtube.com type in breaking mayberry i suppose uh our music is again by max ludwig and our uh, who you can follow online at Sleep Talkie. Our art design was done by Emily Christina, who is on Instagram at ScribbleEmily. Thank you again to the like 900 or so of you that have listened so far. Please continue to share. You know, if you like the show, please give us a rating and a review uh, and let us know about this stuff. Oh, uh, shout out to Twitter user Moranis McDude, who is doing more awesome fan art. And I think... 
making us into like comic book characters or something. I don't really understand, but uh, the I'm amused. Yeah, I, I, I've I've inspired someone artistically. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, special shout out to at uh, Maranus McDude. Uh, got some some interesting artwork I- out there to check out. He knows what you look like. My Twitter avatar is a cartoon. I'm very excited to see what he draws me as looking like. <laughs> uh, what else we got? I think that's pretty much it. What are we doing next time, Dan? Uh, next time is Andy the Housemaker, an episode I have tried to finish three times and never will. So I think it might just be another decompression episode. Like, we're just going to talk about, like... You know, our feelings on the Trump administration and stuff like that. And then there's another one after that that'll probably... Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Andy and the Doctor. Yeah, the, which... the new Doctor. Uh, yeah. That's going uh, to be a fun oh, one. Oh, man, we get to yell at, yell about gender again. Hell yeah. Woohoo! Uh, all right, so we're going to have some fun with those two episodes. Fun is in quotation marks here. All right, you can uh, follow me online. I am at Schneid Remarks on the Twitters. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds with two Ds. Uh, you can follow Ron Howard at Real Ron Howard. Uh, as always, tweet at Ron Howard. This time, you know, he's been talking some shit about The Last Jedi. I have not seen Solo because, you know, we're... Eh. It's exhausting, and you can't really... Who who can see all of these things? Um, he was talking shit on The Last Jedi. Come at him about that. Like... It wasn't like he was talking shit, because he's smarter than that, but whoever's running his social media is not paying too much attention to what they're retweeting, because they retweeted somebody who was just like, man, that, that solo scene was really cool. Too bad nobody watched this movie, because the last two movies sucked. And I was just... It's a real weird scene for thing for Ron Howard to retweet. So clearly somebody wasn't paying attention to him. So, you know, I get why people didn't like Ro- like uh Last Jedi because it wasn't like wish fulfillment bullshit. We're- Rogue One was awesome. Fuck you. Dan, like- we're not we're not having this right now. So what is your hashtag tweet at Ron Howard this time, Dan? Uh, I guess yell at Ron Howard about The Last Jedi, because we need to embroil more people in that fuck fest. That's a terrible idea, Dan. <laughs> no, no, I'm not allowing that one to happen. Hash- this time, hashtag tweet at Ron Howard. Tell Ron Howard what kind of toothpaste you use. Talk- Give your toothpaste Ron Howard about The Last Jedi no. reboot. Yes. Yeah, no, the fact that they're rebooting The Last Jedi. Just pitch your script for that. Apparently, he's a backer. He's probably why they got one of the millions for their pledge. I I, I can't in good conscience allow that to happen. I cannot <laughs> condone this. But uh, that's fine. <laughs> Hashtag tweet at Ron Howard so we can see it and we'll look at it. Uh, that's about it for us. This episode ran really long. Sorry about that. But next time, we'll see you all down at the fishing hole.